Hello and thanks for joining for episode two of the Connect Learn Play podcast. This morning, um, I'm really excited to welcome uh, Robert Pratton. Hello, good morning. Hello, good morning. Are you well? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Where, whereabouts in the world are you at the minute? Uh, London. You're in London at the minute? Yeah, you're, on, a you... very, uh, on a very sunny day actually, so that's quite good. Oh, great, because you, you're normally sort of to and fro in between London and various other places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, not today though. In one space. Grand. Uh, so, Robert, you are you're kind of the transmedia man. Um, you've got uh, an awesome book about creating transmedia productions and and sort of interactive games, storytelling, pervasive storytelling, uh, and and you've created some really awesome software for for creating those sorts of stories and games as well. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I'm not going to do you justice, kind of introducing you. So, so just very quickly, who who are you? Who's Robert Bratton? Yeah, so I'm a CEO and founder of a company called Transmedia Storyteller Limited. And um, we're a technology company. We also do some consulting work. And uh, our technology is called Conductor. It's a pervasive entertainment platform, uh, but in sort of common uh, language. It's an interactive multi-platform storytelling tool. So if you want to engage audiences or engage students across social media, email, text messaging, then this is the platform for you. Uh, To give you an example, right now, we're doing a project with uh, Canal Plus in Spain for season four of the Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. And we've created um, a massively multiplayer role-playing game on Twitter. So every week before the show goes out, uh, people will be able to attack different realms uh, of Spain. Spain's divided into these 19 autonomous regions. And um, you'll be able to fight for a realm. And then midweek, it turns into a strategy game. So if you go into stores, um, if you check on pizza boxes, you'll find codes that unlock... Um, shields, swords, uh, potions, clothes, and you use these to build up your character profile, so stamina, wealth, uh, strength, and so on. Um, yeah, so it's quite, and we have a web series that we're publishing. Um, what else have we got? And live performances as well. So it's, you know, that's like transmedia storytelling all in the world of Game of Thrones, but not with the original characters, with some of our own characters that we've invented. Right, cool. And, and is it just people in Spain that can get involved with that at the minute? Well, it's it's um, all in Spanish. Okay. Um, so it's intended for Spain, but I don't. I'm not uh, sure that it's geo-blocked. So I imagine that anybody that can um, that would like to get involved and can speak Spanish will probably be able to do it. That sounds great. So I'm just trying to think of the various different ways we can go with this. Uh, what well, I mean, you mentioned Canal Plus. What other sorts of of people or organisations are, are using this software? Everybody, really. I mean, um, when I say everybody, I mean across all different um, across all different industries, because it's a storytelling platform, and what it does is it let's say it creates an immersive environment. So often um, we think of stories as being told on some sort of screen-based or sort of paper-based medium, like a you know, like a video or a book or something. But what we're doing is we're creating the illusion that this um, that this story world exists around an individual person. So, for example, in the educational sector, we um, we do projects where students organise themselves into teams and they role play as executives of a of a company of some sort. So recently we did one. Um, 
on uh, sweatshops. So the students organise into teams. They role play being um, executives of a sportswear manufacturer, and then they have to decide: Do we do uh, training shoe in Florida or in China? And different stakeholders are um, basically communicating with them, either through email or social media and through blogs. And conductor our technology is publishing all this content. And interact. Uh, importantly, when the students interact. So then it responds, and maybe the story branches. So they're given a choice. Um, you know, which of these Chinese manufacturers do you think you should go with? They choose one, and then the story branches. Um, yeah. So it's it's you know if it's entertainment or marketing or education, all different uh, all different areas. Immersive theatre, where people need to engage audiences in the run up to a live event, when people want to do um, like uh, street games. You know, you can sort of text a code. You could run to a location, find a find a new code, and text that in. We can do phone calls, all all different types of things, really. Ace, I think I came across uh, yourself and, and conductor. Um, it was a case study. It was about was it was something to do with space shuttle crash, and and students were responsible yeah. for for the dealing with the cleanup or something like that. That's right. Yeah, Cosmic Voyage Enterprises. It was um, a space cargo. Uh, rocket crashed into a local village causing environmental damage and um, the students there were in teams they they were owners of this fictional space cargo company and they were given a limited budget and now they needed to manage the sort of cleanup so okay. over a three week period um, over a three week period they have to deal with sort of the unfolding events and that game is intended to to teach students about ethics and financial responsibility. So one of the problems they have is, like, if they actually pay for the, if they had the money to pay for the full cleanup, it would bankrupt the firm. And most of the people in the firm, uh, their employees, live in that local village. So they've got this sort of, um, you know, this stress of trying to, you know, save the village but also save the firm because if they save the village and destroy the firm, no one's got any employment. So that's not good for, you know, in other regards. So it's, and it's not necessarily, there's not necessarily a right answer. The most important thing is that the students engage in creative problem solving and that they collaborate as teams because once they've chosen a role, so it'll be like the CEO, the finance guy, the marketing guy, corporate social responsibility woman or, you know, whoever it might be, uh, or the, you know, CEO could be a woman and so on. They, um, they get different pieces of information and that means no one person has got the complete picture and they need to collaborate in the classroom and share the information they've got to move forward. It's quite interesting because mid every uh, when we do these games, we normally give them some sort of like ethical challenge that's sort of right on the nose. So there'll be some minor ones, but in that one, they get contacted by someone from the Environmental Protection Agency and they say, uh, if you give me a backhander, I can uh, write a more favourable report <laughs> to make your money go further. And um, the decision made by one of the students in the team will affect everybody. So it's quite, uh, right, okay. it's quite interesting, yeah. And then, of course, the story branches. So once, as you say, the story changes based on their decisions. Then, yeah. If they once they've uh, once they've taken the bribe, or refused the bribe, then they get a different series of uh, information, a different series of events. And is there a, 
a kind of a way to to win? Is the 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 right outcome, or is it just exploring these ideas, these possibilities? Yeah, there's no there's no um, sort of win, but also there's no foul. Right. So the idea is to um, build the confidence in the students, build the, the student confidence, um, and to help them resolve conflicts in the teams. So it's like the teacher is as much um, a facilitator and a mediator as they are a, as they are a teacher. So although the teacher's got all the information, it's not about it's not about getting the right answer. It's about the journey to mm-hmm. an answer. And at the end, they. Um, the students have to submit a video. So you might think that they would just sort of toss this off, you know, just, oh, you know, this is our recommendation. But they really get into it and they really kind of role play it. So I've seen some like amazing videos where they kind of sat around the table and like the phone goes off and, you know, this student will go, hello, you're kidding me, you know, this type of thing. And then, and then they kind of uh, go through the whole role play of looking at the different charts and, so it's really good. It's really good. And they, in addition to the video, they submit. Um, I'm going to call it a written report, but it doesn't have to be a certain size. It's it's really just um, an explanation of why they've chosen a certain decision. And then the 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 um, the organisation that pays for the experience has created this experience. Our client, they do give some award, um, but I think uh, the award is usually for like sort of best effort or most engaged it's right. not for having the right answer so it's demanding a lot of of different skills from these students you know they're making ethical decisions they've got to deal with you talk about financial situations they've got to deal with how they're going to interact with people um it's a real wide range of skills what what kind of age group students are you working with here uh 13 to 17 usually right i think we've had some younger like 11 uh <clears throat> like 11 uh, but we, when we design it, we're, we're thinking of like 14-year-olds, and so sometimes it skews a bit younger. And uh, the way that it's done is it's all completely opt-in. So they, um, like an email goes out to all the teachers from this organisation saying, we're going to run this game, uh, registration is going to start at a certain date, and then the game kicks off, you know, a fortnight or whatever from then. And so the students and the teachers all enrol. If they choose not to enrol, that's fine. And if they do, that's, that's better for us. It's great. So you've got loads of different schools and classes all participating at the same time? Yes. That's great. Uh, so you mentioned about um, designing the experience. How, how, do you go about, how do you go about designing an experience like that and creating um, something like that? Well, with the, um, with the sweatshop one, we actually started from the syllabus Uh, from the ethics syllabus and it says you know the students should learn xyz xyz and then what we do is we think okay what characters what scenario can you know uh, bring the students into contact with those sorts of decisions that will illustrate those learning objectives so then we then we sort of write a story uh, like a synopsis for the story and we get that approved and then once that's approved, then we start to break that down into uh, like more more detailed characters and more detailed interactions. Um, so that's that's pretty. You know, we normally just start with a blank piece of paper and some learning objectives, and think, okay, what's what's a good scenario that's going to bring that out? Right. 
Because I know, like, I've, I mean, I've had a, a go at this, and you came in and, and um, demonstrated the software to us and, and ran some tutorials, and I, it's, it's complex because there's like so many possible variant, you know, um, sort of different ways that the that people could interact and respond. Um, how how do you get your head around that? Or are you just kind of are you seasoned at it now? Are you and you just it just happens. Well, I think. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, it's, there's, two, there's two sides to um, the equation, I think. There's one thing, learning conductor, and another thing, learning how to tell these types of stories that will get the students participating. And the way I often sort of frame the analogy is it's like when you're learning editing, you've got a package like, you know, Adobe Premiere or Final Cut or something, and you kind of need to learn the tool, but also you need to understand about editing, about whether you cut on the action, you know, whether you overlap the, you know, the audio track so it doesn't cut at the same time as the pitching. You know, there's all these sorts of techniques that are about getting a good edit that are quite independent of actually learning the tool to do the editing on. And that ed- those editing techniques existed when in the old days of the Steinbeck where you kind of work with celluloid and... When, with these types of uh, projects, the first challenge is, un- is doing that, is knowing that editing bit or knowing that interactive storytelling component, which is quite independent of conductor. Um, I think if you know conductor, what you tend to do is design the participation to suit the technology because you know, you know, okay, so we can do these things. We can put people into groups and then we can send emails to individual teams or to all the CEOs, all the finance directors and so on. We know that we can have like uh, delayed follow-ups. We know that we can do phone calls. So knowing the capability of the software helps when it comes to do the design. But the first the first place before we even get into Conductor is to come up with a scenario that supports those learning objectives. And then from there, we will break it down normally into acts. So uh, with the Florida example, it's, um, it's usually a three-week uh, experience. And it's basically three acts. So uh, act one is the setup. So we establish the dilemma and uh, the different characters. Uh, act two is the conflict. So this is when, um, you know, they're getting contacted by these different stakeholders telling them, you know, you should listen to me like the guy from the union is saying, it's a travesty that jobs would leave uh, Florida and so on. Then you've got, you know, the Chinese foreign minister saying, we can offer you lots of, um, you know, incentives to come to China and all this type of stuff. And then the third week is the resolution. And this is where... Um, they have to sort of gather all their information and make a final conclusion. And once we've got it into those acts, we break the acts into scenes. So, so this is the scene where the students will interact with the, you know, you know, there's some other stakeholder like the shareholder, or this is where they interact with the local bakery store, and they're concerned that if the jobs go from the factory, then the bakery shop won't be able to survive. So we look at all these different. Um, issues and then once you've got that scene then we say okay how is how are people going to interact with a guy from the bakery store maybe he's on twitter so okay. we create a, a twitter account for that character and then we make the students aware <clears throat> usually for an email so usually there's somebody in the game like a chairman of the company and they kind of direct the students and they help them they work as like a mentor so if the students go off track 
or we don't see any interactions coming in, the mentor will say, have you seen this or have you considered such and such a thing? And they might they might draw their attention to the guy in the bakery store. I've noticed this chap or, you know, this woman tweeting um, about the impact of uh, our decisions. I think you should investigate. Uh, and then inside the conductor, we will, we will, you know, we will, authenticate conductor with that Twitter account and we will set up a series of tweets and we will look for certain responses from the students and that character will react and respond based on the you know the reaction we expect from the students. So how, how important is interaction in all of this? Why not just set them the kind of the scenario this has happened what are you going to do about it? What What's the, the importance of interacting with them on Twitter or email or whatever? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, the problem right now is that schools are like prisons. Mm-hmm. They were they were designed for the 1800s <laughs> uh, when, uh, you know, like people would sort of like leave school and go to work in a factory or in an office or somewhere like that. But that job security or that job path doesn't exist anymore. And with the rate of change that we're seeing right now, nobody knows what careers are going to be available for the students that are in school right now. So the best that we can do, obviously apart from teaching them the basics, is to teach them how to be self-sufficient and how to be problem solvers, how to be resilient, all these sort of like inter, like these personal skills and also interpersonal skills, being able to work in teams and so on. So um, the importance of interaction is that it gets students um, interacting. They're not sitting there like robots reading from a book. And because their lives are filled with interactivity on mobile phones and on computer screens and wherever they go, when they come into um, into the classroom and they're expected to sit still, you know, just listen to the teacher, just read, you know, read the book, it's, it's like torture to them. And the reason we're seeing all these... Um, I mean, in my, this is my personal opinion, but I think the reason why we're seeing all these so-called increases in ADD and drugged-up kids, uh, quite apart from all the e-numbers that are in food, <laughs> is because the kids are just restless. They're just bored out of their minds with the, the with the current way that education is done. And when when we invite the students to actually become creative problem solvers, we don't have those issues. Yeah, sure, we get some kids like asking about, um, you know, trying to be funny and stuff like that. But they totally get into it because they they become autonomous beings and they are directing their own uh, problem solving. They're directing their own learning in order to in order to come to uh, a conclusion. And they're not being sort of spoon fed or they're not being told. And, and here's the other thing as well: when if you've got a subject like ethics and like a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. It's all very well for someone to explain what a moral dilemma is, but it's quite another thing if you're in the centre of it and now you have to make a decision, do I uh, go this way or do I go that way? And then you feel it, you actually feel it inside. So it stops being an abstract concept and it becomes something very tangible that you totally get it now. And it's because of that interaction, because you know that your decision will have consequences and and now you have something that you you know you wrestling with rather than just uh, yeah rather than just something that somebody told you someone once had this ethical don't think about that. So it's um it's, it's not just interactive it is immersive as well and that's part of the yeah the kind exactly. of simulation the experience. Yeah, no, I, was, I was just thinking about what you said about about kids and it's kind of I, I read somewhere recently about kids that, you know, at home they'll have 
um, kind of maybe even several screens and have a tablet and a laptop and a phone and one thing will have like an instant messenger they'll be on social networking they'll have music on they'll probably have a game on and they'll still be doing their homework all at the same time and then obviously so they've gone from this kind of multitask environment that they're very happy in to then being in school where it's like monotask you know, this is the one task we're going to achieve um, I don't know Pythagoras today in maths <laughs> and that's that's what we're going to do um, so I think you're completely kind of aligning with that uh, I mean, even at, at university, I, I know I'm delivering, I don't know, something about media theory and and the students are there, you know, with their iPad or laptop and taking notes, but I can guarantee they've probably got multiple tabs open doing other things <laughs> as well as taking notes. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's great. Um, what The thing is, the lessons get learned better because if you, um, you know, it's been shown that when you, when you get in that enthusiastic state, the things you learn stay with you for longer. So if you start, if you start from the basis that the kids are bored, anything you tell them is having less, you know, it's sinking in less deep anyway. So, and it's in all, it's in all our interest to make sure these kids uh, are entertained while they learn, because we don't want them all going to prison. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> or worse, still running, running amok on the streets because they've not learned anything at school. So. Absolutely. Um, what I just want to have a kind of some of the obstacles that in schools, um, it's like getting on social networks. Actually, in the school, quite often the the computer systems are kind of locked down. You can only get on various websites. How have you how have you found that, and how have you overcome that? It is a it is a problem. Where the problem stems from is that the school uh, wants to distance itself from online behaviours. So if we look at cyberbullying, for example, quite often parents will come up to school and complain to the headmistress or the headmaster that um, you know their kids are being bullied on Facebook or wherever it, wherever it might be, and so the school's reaction is, well, we'll just ban Facebook at the school. So nobody's allowed on social media, but or we'll ban mobile phones, this type of thing, or ban mobile phones in lessons. But as soon as the break's over, the students are out there with their smartphones uh, straight onto social media anyway. So rather than uh, have the school just bury its head in the sand and pretend that it's not their problem or try to, you know, distance themselves from these issues... It's much better for the schools to actually say, look, we need to teach these students some proper online behaviours and some proper social responsibility and how to deal with criticism, how to how their behaviour online affects other people because sometimes they don't, you know, the students don't realise that. They think what would have been like some teasing in the playground, it's momentary, it's gone. Online it becomes a big issue because it's there, it's permanent, other people join in and all of a sudden, you know, we, we have these tragic cases of kids killing themselves because they're unable to deal with this, um, you know, this sort of like online behaviour. So the way that we deal with it is to, is really just to tackle it head on and say, look, this is part of people's lives now and the school ought to be training the students and in these games, um, this is one of the things that they do. So we use Facebook, we use Twitter, we use blogs. Sometimes um, the schools don't want to open up these uh, social networks mm. um, and then it becomes like a homework. 
because we know that right. the students have access at home. And I think there was a concern when, so we've been doing this now for about three years, and there was a concern at the beginning, like would all students have access to the technology needed? But I mean, even three years ago, right at the start of the project, you can see emails coming in sent from my iPhone. So I mean, like there are very few, if any, students that don't have access to some sort of online right. uh, thing. You know, even if worst case, they need to go to the public library in order to do it. But for the schools that we've been working, I don't know of anyone, um, you know, to whom that, that applies to. Right. I think it's good. I mean, is the the um, the kind of using social networks and online responsibly is that is that a, a key part of the kind of your the the teaching and the experience you're giving them, or is that sort of inferred? Is that a? It depends. Okay. It depends. So, um, and it de- it depends on the experience. So, with the sweatshop one I gave, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, like on the periphery in a way. Like that's that's part of. You know, that's only sort of 10 or 15% of what the experience has been designed for. But um, we did a project in Brazil that was designed to uh, teach kids empathy. Okay. And we took, the, we took the story of Prometheus um, and they had to sort of go through this story. And that was only a week long. So the students started off on Monday. On the Wednesday, they come in and they discuss the situation with the teacher. And then they go away again and then come back on the Friday. And what's, I think what's interesting as well is the is the metrics that the teachers can get. So on the Wednesday, the teachers there with a report about which students have interacted and which ones haven't. So okay. if anyone tries, tries to bluff her that they've done their homework or you know they've been interacting, she's like, oh, that's funny because when I look down his report, I don't see any uh, evidence of you getting engaged. And I mean that was with uh, very young students. I think that was with like. Uh, 10 or 11 year old students certainly not the, the Prometheus example oh, wow. um, what made that a little bit interesting for me was that all the kids had uh, iPads so I think that I think that there are schools that are spending a lot of money on tablets um, and giving them out and giving them out to kids but I don't know how they think the kids are going to use them because there's a lot of people looking at uh, educational apps well, if that means that someone has to bury their head in a computer screen and go through some sort of math-solving problem, like, okay, then maybe that's maybe that's good for teaching maths, but what does it mean about their social skills? So we, although we although we need some sort of device in order for the students to, you know, send instructions and to get information back, it's not it's not about sticking your head in the screen. It's about getting some information and then sticking your head up and talking to real people and then going back to that to interact great i'm glad you mentioned that that was going to be one of the next things i was sort of going to move on to is, oh, really? was, was, well is te- sort of technology becoming an obstacle in itself or you know you're clearly using it to enable students to to create face-to-face interactions um i think that's important in a world where we're living and kind of on-screen interactions even like we are now i suppose <laughs> that, yeah. that it's becoming a that you're using it or enabling it as a tool to create this kind of collaborative teamwork, um, so I think that's that's great and that's good. Only a good thing for the students, surely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, the other thing you mentioned that I was going to um, ask you about was the sort of the metrics. So you talked about um, teachers getting feedback on on who's interacted and how how much. 
Uh, is there any other kind of feedback that, that either you're collecting or you're making available for the teachers? So, so how how students are interacting in what way? What what kind of things there? You know, is there uh, some other measurables in there? Yeah. So it, it really depends on the experience and uh, what the what things the client wants to measure. So, I'm trying to think of a uh, example. So, for example, we're doing um we're doing a story now where. So, in the transmedia world, you have stories, and then you have the story world. So, in the context of the training, the story would be like the things that unfold to get you to the answer, and then the story world would be all of the materials, like the websites and the characters and so on, that we create that don't necessarily advance the plot, but will shed light on the problem that give you another perspective on this on this task that you've been set and so one of the things that we do is we um, we look at how um, sort of goal directed are the students and how much time do they spend in the world just exploring so some might just power through trying to just solve the problem to reach the end you know the end the end answer and others might actually explore around the subject so we look at that as a metric um, and what, what's we, the benefit of that? What's the what? What does that well, say about us, the student? Well, yeah, because for us, it's uh, helps us with the with the story to um, to say was it worth actually spending time doing this? Oh, okay. Um, you know, we'd put this information, uh, say, in a blog. Did we um, did we miss an opportunity? Was that some important opportunity that nobody explored? Like some important perspective on this story that nobody actually interacted with should we bring that into the main fold to make sure that um, people do actually read it and pick up on it are we are we setting sort of time constraints that are too tight so that people okay. don't the students don't feel like they've got enough time to hang out that they have to race through this world I mean and that, the other thing is that we do have um, badges and it's important with the badges, so the students can win badges for stuff they do, but it's important that it's not about the badges because there's different sort of like learning styles, I guess. So some students, if they know it's all about the badges or the leaderboards, will, will kind of try to slide by and game the system just to get the badges. So it's, it's trying to find a way that the learning itself is the reward and the badges are just the way that you sort of track progress as a way to say, yeah, you did it, you got there. Yeah, you did it, you got there. Um, so sometimes we might just keep those to ourselves so that we know, like, so the teacher, for example, can look and track the progress on the students. Like, what if you've got a team of uh, four, but there's only two of them in the team that are actually, like, pulling everyone else along, right. and the other two are not, like, really doing anything? So we... We try to look at that as well to show the relative engagement of different members of the team. So it really, it really depends on whether we're looking for feedback to improve the game, whether the teacher's looking for stuff, uh, you know, like information on me to um, see which students are really taking to this or not. And, and how do you guarantee that? Whilst they're completing the activities, how do you guarantee that they're also meeting the learning outcomes? 
And well, I don't actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't. So that's down to the um, that's down to the teachers. Okay. Because we we're providing the framework. It's like you know, any anyone who designs a textbook. How do you how do you prove that that textbook is meeting educate well? You can't, can you? I mean, it's up to the teacher to to see if actually what they read was you know sunk in and they and they get tested on it. So yeah, we're not we're not involved in the actual. We're not involved really in the education of the students. We're right. only involved in creating the experience, and then we hand over to the educators who use that as a framework to, um, you know, develop the students. And are you are you going into schools quite a lot, working with the teachers on on these? No, things? no, <laughs> no, not at all. no, I'm not. <laughs> we, <laughs> um, we um, it depends on the client. So recently, we met two uh, headmistresses from different schools who explained to us the problems that they had in schools um, about what they were looking for. We, we'd already worked on a concept with the client and we pitched that concept to the headmistresses who both signed up to it okay. and, then we, and then we went off and did it. So we're not, we're not like in the, in the classroom, like we make sure that we're doing the right things but we don't... Um, yeah, we don't like roll our sleeves up when the game is running and get in with the students. Right. Okay. And then, we, and then of course we get the feedback. So the the, um, the the headmistresses or you know the teachers or whoever it is will give the feedback to the client, and then the clients will give the feedback to us about what worked, what didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what problems there are in the classroom with organising the experience in a particular way and so on. Okay. Cool. Um... What aside from the educational stuff, then uh, what what other cool things are you working on? You mentioned the Game of Thrones thing. I mean, is that going to come to England and, and English speaking countries? I don't know. I mean, uh, there's no plans at the moment. Okay. It's going to run. What well, it's going to launch uh, next week, April seventh, and um, it will run till the end of Game of Thrones, and it climaxes. So whoever whoever wins our Game of Thrones online. Um, Gets a massive coronation, a live event in the centre of Madrid. So, uh, oh, wow. so quite, yeah, so that's quite good. So that's quite good, uh, so that's quite good fun. Um, and how how do they win that? How does they, I mean, you talked about them uh, invading different areas and attacking people, and you can gain sort of a, build an inventory by was it buying pizza? Was it? <laughs> yeah, well, one of the um, one of the one of the brand sponsors that they've been talking to is a is a pizza. Chain. Oh, okay. And uh, so the boxes that go out will have like codes, redemption codes for in-world items that you can use in your gameplay. So all the fighting and all the behaviours give you experience points. So there'd be a leaderboard, so whoever's got the most experience points. And you've got to survive, you see, because while people are attacking you, people can attack you, betray you seduce you all uh, right okay so you're gonna be so looking on that leaderboard and see who you can take down <laughs> yeah exactly and see what's great about it is everything's been done on conductor now conductor is normally invisible in this case there's a there's a website and the website has been done by a company um called dahuti who's one of our sort of uh, you know, we have a partnership with them they're there in uh, paris so they build the website but it's like a thin client so the, the website um presents the data but all the data is held in conductor okay. so when you go to the website it makes 
a program call across the internet to conductor, sucks the data out and then presents it on this map. So there'd be an interactive map where we'd be able to see like hot spots of seduction, hot spots of betrayals, this type of uh, this type of thing. Yeah, no, we're working on uh, we're working on loads. We're working with a publisher now. In fact, it uh, the holding page just went live. It's um, a fictional hotel. There's going to be eight books published from May through to December, and also this online uh, fictional fictional world. So conductors doing the online fictional world. It's publishing all the social media. There's a web series, twelve week web series, thirty six episodes. So conductors um, publishing all of that, all of those, all the blog posts, and the. Um, the woman who's the star of the web series, she has a love interest who's only available interactively, and she sets you different sort of puzzles. Um, well, not they're not really puzzles, but she she asks you to find out more about this love interest, and so off you go, and you find that the plot uh, thickens the more you uh, interact with this character and the the different characters that you get brought into contact with. So that's another. So that's another. Example. So it's it's all it's all interesting stuff. It's all storytelling. It's all interactive, and it's all about engagement. Whether it's engagement in a fictional context, because people often say with their student projects, "Ah, oh, well, you know, they're all sort of trapped in a room." Yeah, but they're not actually, because one, it's it's a free opt-in. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do it because it's it's kind of like extracurricular, um, and uh, if they're not engaged then uh, the client doesn't come back and buy more. So we need to make sure they're engaged to make sure that, um, you know, they keep, they keep coming back to relicense the software. So, that, I mean, that was, yeah, the next sort of thing I was going to ask about, actually, is it was the sort of commercial side of it. So it seems to me that there's there's kind of several aspects to this. You can buy the, the license to conductor, to use conductor, to create your own stuff. Yes. Or you could work with you as on the educational side of it and then there's the marketing as well so is that the kind of the three strands that your business is is based on am i right well, in thinking it's, that um, first and foremost um it's licensing the technology okay. so anybody anybody can um you know buy a license and use it for whatever purposes they want more or less um sometimes people come to us and say uh, we've heard that you're experts in this area, we've got the software, please can you give us a turnkey solution so then we do everything. Uh, okay. and so it can it can run between the two. So with one client, um, and it's kind of uh, proved to be a little bit typical, when they first get going, they say, uh, we'd like to learn on the job. So you do the first experience and we'll understand how you use the soft software and then we'll take it from there. So that's often what happens. So we will do the first one as a turnkey solution, include some training in there, and then for the second uh, experience, they they go off on their own, or they might write the story, and we do the interactive. So we can cut it. We can cut it um, either way, but it's it's actually better for us and better to the for the client if they um, if they do everything, and we just license the um, software because then they keep the knowledge in house. They're closer to the students and everything. So, um, you know, and then they've got transferable skills that they can take on somewhere else. Sure. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it sounds it. It sounds great. I like to so I played with the, the software when you, you came in and you did a session for us. And, and um, it got me thinking a lot about about the way, you know, I've, I've got a, a media and film production background. 
and this kind of traditional way that we're telling stories, uh, very kind of linear. And I've, I mean, I've been thinking about transmedia for a while, and and I've been interested in it, read various books, but actually, kind of sitting down with the software and thinking, right, I can produce something now. Um, I had kind of like a, I don't know, expanded my mind. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. you mentioned the word there about um, about linear storytelling. I mean, we we um, we've done crisis simulations. Okay. And uh, for example, the one that we've got the video on, the uh, the blink mining. That, so that's an example where the client wrote the story and we implemented the interactive and it's very straightforward and it is a linear story but the students taking part don't know that it's a linear story so they they make decisions and they have consequences because the character mood changes so some characters get friendly and others get angry um, based on the decisions you make but the actual plot points um, don't change so it's a linear story, but because you're in the thick oh, okay. of it, you're under time pressure, and you've got a journalist saying, you know, what you what can you tell me about this mining disaster? Have you sent the military in, or you know, are you going to um, use your own private security? What are you going to do? So it, it it gives you or the students the feeling that um, that it's dynamic. Well, it is it is dynamic. I mean, it gives them the feeling that they are impacting the outcome, but actually. The outcome is a series of uh, predefined decision points over over a two-hour period in that case. So I think that for people getting into this, usually the biggest hurdle is not is not the branching, because people are many people are familiar with choose your own adventure books where it says turn to page five. You know, if you want to do this, turn to page thirty-six. So that's one that's one side, and normally most people get that. The tricky bit is understanding how to invite the audience in and how to invite the students in. Like, how do I, this is the story I want to tell, how do I make it interactive? And all you all you need to do there is think, well, here's a character. This character's got some information. What do I need to ask him for him to reveal that information? And it's really as simple as, it's really as, simple as that. And, you know, so you, you think about it as um, the perspective of these different stakeholders whether they're fit, you know, whether it's for a crisis sim or whether it's for Game of Thrones or whatever, you um, you say what what does this character want, and um, how would how would he react if someone asked him for the knife or for the the flash lamp or whatever you know whatever it is, and um, off you go from there. Cool. Okay, uh, I'm I'm quite conscious of of time. Um, one of the things that I'm, uh, I mean, this is only the second episode of the podcast, but one of the things I'm intended to ask everyone is the Connect, Learn, Play podcast. So what's kind of your, let's go for advice. What's your kind of recommendations when, when talking to people about connecting, learning and playing? Because um, I think they're all sort of equally important and, and certainly it fits what you're talking about. How do you mean? How do you mean? Uh, in, in, in life with anything, um, with, with regards to, I don't know, engaging with people. Those I think do it frequently. I would frequently. say, uh, yeah, do it, do it frequently, and uh, don't be, don't be scared. I think what I see uh, often is too many people theorising and speculating and not rolling up their sleeves and getting in. And I think that um, when we're when we're designing user experiences, when we're designing student experiences, it's much better to do something small and manageable and then grow it 
rather than sit back and design this massive big Rolls Royce kind of project that never actually gets launched. Um, yeah, so that I think that's that will be my advice: is uh, connect, connect often, and play and play often. <laughs> and that that will help you to learn, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. kind of because with these experiences, there it's an iterative process. So you do something, you learn, and then you modify and you do it again, and then and then and you keep getting better at it. Whereas you'll never get better at it just by reading all the materials. And I'm someone that produces lots of materials, so I like I like to share my learning as we go through these things, and I hope that that will inspire people to sort of learn from my mistakes or learn from what I've done. But it it is about other people encouraging other people to do and to experiment on themselves and you know by themselves and to feedback to the to the community at large rather than all of us just um, discussing this discussing the subject great that's fantastic um, really good yeah I, I agree with that wholeheartedly as well um, doing a PhD with action research is kind of my my main <laughs> drive so that kind of iterative doing and, and reviewing is is uh, is key so that's fantastic um how can people find you and find out more? And I mean, you've got your book that's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. It's all available from free. For free oh, okay. Slides, yeah, if you search for um, "getting started in transmedia storytelling," uh, if you just Google it, it will it will come up. I think it links to the free version first. I think that's um, is that a slide share? Is it? That... It's a slide share. Yeah, and you can download it as a PDF. And then, if you uh, would like the, you know, the the paperback version, you can buy it. Um, on uh, on Amazon, yeah. There's a Kindle version as well. Uh, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter as Rob Pratt, mm-hmm. um, and uh, on the website at tstoryteller.com. Tstoryteller.com, and that's the place to go if if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I'd quite like one of these, you know, to get involved. With my students involved in one of these experiences, or I'd like to have a go at making something myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you just search for Robert Pratt, you'll find me online. And, there cool. are many Robert Prattons, but only one who comes up frequently. So it'll right, be, okay, great. If you look, if the picture looks like me on this webcast, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I shall put all the links in the uh, the podcast notes as well. <laughs> all right, really That's good. great. Well, thank you very much for for coming on talk. I'm, I'm sure there's a plethora of other other things that we've, we've not explored regarding transmedia and and everything else. But but that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take and, care, Jamie. Uh, take care. All the best. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I, I hope you found it interesting and useful. Uh, we will have another one in two weeks, which will be uh, toward the end of April. I can't remember the date off the top of my head. Um, if you did enjoy the podcast, do share it on Facebook, Twitter, etc. You can get in touch with me at Jamie the Coles on Twitter, or you can send me an email at jamie-coles at live.co.uk. Um, Thanks very much for listening and keep an eye out for the next podcast. Cheers.